Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM, KBLU. I'm Sean Garner, attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson, and in studio here with Adam Hanson, my partner in the law firm, and Cody Beeson, who is running the boards and uh, trying to make us sound good. So we're going to talk this morning a little bit about accountability and how it cuts both ways. And I, I think accountability is really the undercutting or the foundation of freedom. When you hear freedom, many people think of being able to do whatever you want and not having consequences. And that's not really the truth. Freedom means you are free to succeed or fail. You are the free, you're free to work hard and reap the fruits of your labor or be lazy and starve to death. And so that works hand in hand with accountability. You get to make choices. Nobody's there to make choices for you. But if you make the wrong choices, then you're going to suffer the consequences of those choices. Now, every time that uh, we make choices and somebody else, some third party, whether it's a parent or the government, swoops in and saves us from the consequences of our choices, then we lose a little bit of our freedom. Perhaps we have a softer landing. Perhaps we get to avoid a little bit of hardship and pain and suffering. But in the long run, we also lose freedom. And so we don't get to make choices continually down the road because we've given that up. We, we have to give some of our autonomy away in order to have our consequences also taken away. And I want to give an example of that. We have just on a very fundamental level in my family, we have chores that my kids are responsible for doing. They're responsible for doing the dishes on their assigned day. They're responsible for cleaning up after the dog. They're responsible for vacuuming the living room and so on and so forth. And we keep track of their chores. We go through and we, I've got this little Excel spreadsheet because I'm a nerd and that's what I do. And uh, then I cast it every Sunday night to our TV in our living room and we go down and, and they keep track of their, their whether or not they did the chores each day. And we put in a point for every time they did all the chores for that day. And uh, they get paid based on whether or not they completed their chores. Now, sometimes they'll complete their chores and they'll forget to mark it down. And I say, you know what? If you did your homework but you forgot to turn it in, you're not going to get the grade. That's how it works. If I go to work and I, and I do the work but I forget to actually provide it to the client or in, in a typical law firm, you forget to put down and track your hours, then you don't get paid. That's how the real world works. And so I'm trying to teach them how to succeed in the real world by being accountable for their actions, not only doing what they're required to do, but m making sure that it's tracked and uh, they get compensated. And so they get compensated based on, they can earn up to $25 a week and they get bonuses if they get 100% of their chores done. And uh, if they don't mark it down, then they don't get paid. And they need to, when they want to go out and do sports and they want to have special gloves for catching the football or they want to have an extra set of knee pads if it's volleyball. They use their own money to go buy those things. And, uh, you know, they like having that autonomy to buy the outfits that they like and, and the little extras that they like, but they've got to work for it. Have they ever forgotten and then, like, 
never forgotten again. Like they've learned that lesson, like they felt it. <laughs> or they keep forgetting. Well, it depends on the child because I've got six kids. So I, I get to run this experiment and have six different uh, little scenarios going on all at once. And uh, so, yeah, my boys are pretty darn good. My, my, my smaller boys. They're just getting this concept of money down, and we pay them in cash. So they've got all of these little envelopes that we pull out, and um, they don't keep them on their own. We put them in the safe afterwards. We bring out this little you know, Walmart safe, this $50 safe, and uh, we pull it out, and, and then we track their chores, and based on how much they've completed, we say, okay, you earned 12 bucks this week. Or, and, then, and then the next kid who did all their chores, like you earned your $24 or $25 plus your bonus. And so they're watching this kid get paid out 30 bucks. And that, that shows, hmm, there's, there's, there's discrepancy between how much I'm getting and how much he's getting, especially when the older ones think, I'm working harder than these younger kids. You may be, but you're not following the rules. The rules are you do your chores, you mark it down, then you get paid. And so those consequences really help out. And when they don't have money and they want to buy this special toy that they want or whether it's sports equipment, say, okay, how much money you got? Not enough. Sorry, we're not getting that. And we could be better about that. Um, we're softies and sometimes. And when every time we do, we find that uh, – the thing that gets purchased, there's not the level of gratitude that they would have had had they worked for it on their own. We find it out in the yard the next day. It's, you know, discarded. And the same thing applies to me and you. We work hard, and the harder we work for something, the more we appreciate it. Um, I know that as a kid, I grew up fairly poor. Now, poor for the very high standard of living that we enjoy here in America— so when it came to winter boots, and I grew up in northern Idaho, I did not get um, boots every year. I got shoes, you know, for school, and I'd wear those shoes for everything. I'd wear them outside in the snow. I'd wear them to chop wood. I'd wear them to school. I'd wear them to soccer. I'd wear them everywhere. And um, when it came to checking around in the snow, I remember taking grocery bags, putting on a couple pair of socks, wrapping some grocery bags over my feet and then putting my shoes on to kind of protect them from the wet and the cold. And um, so I tell that to my kids. And it's the old story. I walked uphill in the, you know, cold and snow both ways to school. But it, it, it is reality. That, that's what I experienced as a child. And so I said, listen, I'm allowing you the opportunity to earn as much as you want, to buy the things that you want, but you've got to go out and earn them. So when they complain that they don't get something or the other or the name brand thing that they wanted i don't have any sympathy for them because i said you know last saturday i said we need some more weeds pulled out in the front rocky area and it's not fun pulling weeds in this rocky portion of our front yard and uh nobody volunteered and so guess what i'm not i'm not paying for this extra piece of equipment that you want. So what does that have to do with today? We've got the financial sector that continually seems to be getting into trouble. And the government seems to be there to bail it out more often than not. We have these two banks just recently that have failed. We've got the Silicon Valley Bank in San Francisco in California, and we've got the uh, Signature Bank in New York that have failed. And we've already heard from our president. He's jumping in. He's 
Johnny on the spot to make sure that the depositors into those banks are getting more than the FDIC insurance to compensate them for the losses that they have because the bank's bad policies. So they invested or deposited their money in a bank that had very loose policies and allowed it to collapse. And they need to do a little bit of homework in advance to understand what the risk is when you're depositing into a bank. And and the risk should not be great. Uh, We want a good, sound banking foundation. So we do have federal insurance that says if your deposits are $250,000 or less per person, and some, I don't know the specifics on the account, but you might be able to open up different types of accounts and, and receive that insurance for different types of accounts. Perhaps a CD might grant you that insurance for that type of account as well. But regardless, there is a level of insurance that the federal government will step in and make you whole in case that bank fails. And the idea behind that is we don't want to have a mass bank failure because then money dries up and we have a huge recession or even a depression like was experienced in uh, the late 1930s and 40s. So we don't want that. We want people to have confidence in the banks. But I think even more fundamentally important is we want institutions to run and manufacture or we want them to have procedures in place and policies where they're going to be financially sound. We have tons and tons of regulations for these banks to make sure that they're not over lending and and lending to subpar borrowers to get upside down and get paid bonuses on every loan that they offer out and then end up with not enough liquidity to pay out the people that have deposited money in their banks. And we've, we've got all those regulations, yet still they seem to find a way to be fiscally irresponsible and to lose the investments that they've placed the depositors' monies in and the bank go belly up. So what is the solution there? Is a solution for the federal government to come in and pay them and, and buy them out or to make all the depositors whole? My... my knee-jerk reaction is no. Every time the federal government gets involved to solve our, our problems, he's acting like big brother or mom and dad to come in and to take away the consequences of our bad actions. And when he does that, he doesn't allow the accountability to take place, and also our freedoms are reduced. Now, how would our freedoms be reduced by the government coming in and bailing out these two banks here? or billing out the depositors into these banks. Well, number one, I don't remember the last time the federal um, employees, especially the government, are depositing into a specific fund for bailing out banks or big corporations that have bad fiscal policy, their own money. So that means they're taking my money to do that. They're taking every taxpayer's money to do that. So now I'm responsible for Silicon Valley's actions. And I don't even have any interest in Silicon Valley. I wouldn't go over and deposit my money in Silicon Valley. If I did, I might look into a little bit of, uh, you know, how fiscally sound that bank is before I did that. But now I'm responsible for, for bailing these people out. And that takes away my freedom. And so all of our freedom is taken away for doing that. And the consequence of losing your money if you invested or deposited more than the insurance into that bank is you don't get to really learn the lesson that you need to do your homework on these financial institutions. Now, do I want a huge nationwide collapse of the banks? No, but we do need to allow institutions that are operating poorly to 
fail, and those people that have participated in those institutions will get hurt. And the rest of us can learn, hopefully, by observation, and the ones that participated by experience, that we need to be more fiscally responsible. We're not going to have somebody come in and take away the consequences of our actions. So it's the same as me going in and paying my kids all the same allowance, regardless of whether or not they did their chores, regardless of whether or not they marked down their chores, just because I'm a benevolent parent and I love them all the same, and so they all should receive the same. No, they took different levels of responsibility. They contributed to the household differently. They applied the rules of our house differently, and they get to benefit differently. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. So stick around. This is 560 AM KBLU. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM KBLU. I'm attorney Adam Hanson, and I'm with my partner in crime, Sean Garner, and uh, we've got Cody with us as well, running the board and pushing buttons, trying to make his sound as good as he can. Before the break, Sean was talking about this idea of resilience, and uh, we'll get into that in just a second. But before we do, I just want to remind the the listeners that we have a couple seminars coming up. And if you if you're not aware of what we do, Sean and I we we practice estate planning law, and what that means is that we help families like yours uh, put in place legal planning. To avoid government processes is the hope. If something happens to you, like uh, you become incapa- incapacitated or you pass away, that's the hope is that we can put in place a plan that will help avoid the heartache and the frustration that might come from those events that we've seen time and time again when people don't put planning in place. We do that in different ways. Some families will put together a living trust. Some people will use will planning, powers of attorney, uh, beneficiary deeds, things like that. Sometimes we'll implement some sort of an LLC or a, a business organization. Every family is unique and every family has their own needs. And and uh, that's why it's really worth your time to sit down with either Sean or I and see what your needs are. And I don't want you to be scared. It's not like going to the dentist. It's not, it's not going to be painful. It's actually um, relieving. I have so many people that leave my office that give me hugs because they feel so much better, like a weight has been lifted off their shoulder as we talk through the issues and they start to realize, wow, there is a way to get this done in the way that I would want it. Um, so learn what your your actual options are by going to one of our seminars, and they're, they're coming up March 30th is the first one. That's at the Yuma Main Library at 1030 in the morning. And if you can't make it to that one, then come out to the Foothills Library, and that's March 31st. That's at 2.30 p.m. in the afternoon, and so that's a Thursday and a Friday. March 30th is a Thursday. March 31st is a Friday, and we invite you to come out and and talk to us. And it's also a good forum where you can, at the very end of our presentation, you can ask questions, any questions you want. And uh, that's my favorite part is that question and answer period. So we were talking uh, before the break, and and before we get too far into the, the, the subject matter again, I want to remind the listeners that if you want to listen or re-listen to this show, then you can do that if you have a podcast app on your phone or on your computer or on your TV, for example. Um, and it can be – we are on all these platforms like um, Apple Podcast or Spotify, Spotify yeah, any of these things. If you just look up Life, Death, and the Law, 
our logo should pop up and then you just click that and say subscribe and then you'll get our, our episodes and you can look back at the old episodes. So we're hitting the big time now, Cody. We're, we're on Spotify, Apple, you name it, Google Play. Okay. I think, I think we, we just hit double digits um, last week with my mom subscribing. <laughs> I think we hit 10. <laughs> I'm like, I, talk, I, talk, I tell my wife all the time, hey, did you hear our episode on, on our podcast? And she's, she's like, no, I, um, I didn't finish my murder podcast that I was listening to. <laughs> yeah. So it's okay. We're working on it. We're going to hit the big time one of these days. I can feel it in my jellies. So before the break, before the break, we were talking about, uh, or Sean was talking about the, this concept that he's implemented in his family where his kids work hard. And this is really a constitutional principle. And that's what Sean and I were talking about before we even started this show was this constitutional principle that our, our fan, founders knew of. They knew that in order to gain happiness in this particular life, you have to work. And, and primarily that work will produce good results or bad results. But they also knew that failure was inevitable in a lot of cases, and hence they built in bankruptcy, right, Sean? I was really surprised when I, when I uh, researched bankruptcy law uh, that they, it was actually built into the Constitution. They knew that, that sometimes people are going to fail and there needed to be a way to start again, and that's why they developed the bankruptcy body of law. And you and I have both practiced in, in the area of bankruptcy. And I remember... I thought you were going to say we both filed bankruptcy. <laughs> no. I was like, I did? Not I yet. don't remember doing that. Not yet. We're holding that card for when it gets really bad. Yeah. Um, no, but uh, I remember going... I don't want to detract too much from your train of thought here, but um, I remember thinking in law school, there's a couple areas of law that I don't want to practice. And bankruptcy was up there among those. And I just... I had no idea what I was getting into when I was in law school. And uh, it, it turns out that practicing in the bankruptcy field was actually a very rewarding area of practice. It was very fulfilling. We helped out some very good people get a fresh start. So sorry to interrupt your train of thought. I have a question, though, about it. Did you notice any differences when, when they implemented bankruptcy into our system? Like, did obviously, our founding fathers pick and chose from all over history in the world. Mm -hmm. um, did they do anything unique for bankruptcy when it, when it came to America? What, one, one of the things that we were just talking about this last week, I think, Sean, if you remember our conversation, I doubt it, but uh, if you do, we were talking about how odd it was that bankruptcy law didn't include... or uh, Student debt. Student debt, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's a couple things that are exempted. Obviously, taxes is a hard one to get forgiven. So basically, bankruptcy. your question, Cody, is... It was student debt. Like, Irrelevant. Okay. We just ignored it, apparently. <laughs> the founding fathers didn't <laughs> plan on student debt. No, no. No, the founding fathers, yes. They did actually do something very significant. And it, and this is a question that comes up a lot. And one of the most significant things that they did with our bankruptcy laws or even debtor laws in general, creditor-debtor um, actions, is that uh, the debt does not pass from one person to another. It does not pass from one generation to another. And so in, in England and um, in other parts of the world, you would take on your parents' debt if they were unable to pay it. So that was one. That, that's a, it's a major thing. And it comes up so often in our area of practice with um, estate planning because sometimes people come into us and uh, their family members don't 
not only are not leaving them a, a great inheritance, but have left them a pile of debts, and and they're concerned that that's my goal. Be saddled with those debts, you're going to leave your kids debts. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> well here you go, kids. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, learn to dig. Constitutionally, they they don't have to pay those. That's right. And the second thing would be jail, right? Th- that's exactly it. Yes. Yeah. So there's no debt or prisons, and ironically. Um, there was one exception to that. So let's first state the rule. You cannot go to prison for failure to pay a debt, and uh, I think that's a good rule. I think the other options that are available, civil lawsuits and um, trying to make sure that there's a garnishment on your wages and a lien on, it's from state to state, but on your home, um, for any equity in your home above $150,000, those are big enough incentives to pay your debts, and uh, you don't need to be thrown into prison. That's not going to do anybody any good, or at least it's going to do more harm than good. The exception to that is taxes. Now, not only is the constitutionality of income tax questionable, although I would agree that the income tax in general is constitutional because the 16th Amendment allowed for an income tax, and that's how we should address things constitutionally, is to amend the Constitution, not just to read it differently and turn it upside down and say, oh, we, we also agree that that's in the Constitution, not because it actually says it, but because we want it to be there and we don't want to amend it because that's too hard and long of a process. So We'll just do an executive order, do it that way. Yeah, do yeah. an executive order or just interpret it differently. Yeah. So anyway get off that soapbox. They, so the, the Constitution was amended to, and the 16th Amendment allowed for the income tax. And um, the IRS is allowed to imprison individuals who don't pay their taxes. And uh, I think that is unconstitutional. I think the IRS being able to um, garnish my wages, my bank account, uh, put liens on my homes and my vehicles and my business, I think that's enough. And again, it gets back to um, the funding of more IRS agents, $80 billion that was put into funding more IRS agents. And not not only more agents, but arming them. I mean, I don't think any of that was necessary, let alone constitutional, because they're going to collect those taxes, and if I don't pay those taxes... I can lose everything that I have, and I can go to prison. Now they need to be able to hold a gun to me in order to enforce that law. I don't think that's really necessary, but uh, there we go. I digress. We talked about the um, the principle of, of hardship really is what we're talking about today, or resilience. And I think of that principle really being an American principle American in the sense of the the founding fathers, the revolutionists, uh, when we broke off from England and, and the heartache that that entailed, a lot of that was hard, and uh, there was a lot of loss of life, there was a lot of loss all around, yet they were able to pick themselves up through that hard time and continue to fight and build the nation that they wanted to. And America has a rich history of individuals that continually do that. In the face of adversity or in the face of, of a hard thing, they push through. And I think that's really the test of an individual um, is if they have that resilience, if they can push through, knowing that it's going to hurt, they can still get through it and they're going to be better for it. And we hear that all the time. 
if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And um, I'm not to say that I'm perfect at this principle, but uh, Sean, you have a really good example. You love trees, and um, when you put put your backyard in, you have something over like a hundred trees that were planted, right? And you made a comment to me once that um, you went you went against the grain when you put these trees out there. It's very traditional when you have little saplings put in the ground to stake them so that in the hard winds, they don't just get broken. And uh, you said that you went against the grain when you would unstake them, what most people would say prematurely, that you take the stake out early on in that little sapling's life. And why is that? Yeah, as soon as the root bulb was firm enough to hold the tree upright, we would take the stake out, and we'd let that tree bend back and forth. And two purposes for that. One is that when the wind blows and and the root bulb is tested, it actually um, invigorates the roots to, to dig deeper and to spread out so that it, it creates a, a, a better foundation for that tree to stay secure. And number two, in the tree, in the fibers of the trunk itself, they become strengthened. And uh, so the tree begins to resist and, and grow stronger. And I've actually seen them grow higher and faster and, and more vibrantly when I do that. And even my professional landscapers, they say, oh, you're doing it too early. Um, I did. I plant. I actually, it was 88 trees. It was nearly 100, but 250 bushes and the shrubs and whatnot. So I planted a whole lot of them. I didn't lose a single tree. Now, there was one time where we had this, um, it was like a semi-hurricane that went through Yuma. This was back like in 2016 or 17. And um, one of my little trees, no, it must have been 18, sorry. So back in 2018, and it snapped the tree off right above uh, the lowest branch. So there's only one branch left of that tree. And um, all the other trees survived it and uh, weathered the storm okay. So what I did is I just turned that branch up and strapped it straight up to a post for a little while until it solidified there and uh, then let it go. Now, you can't even tell which tree snapped off because it, it was able to regrow and... Um, again, blowing in the winds and, and holding its own, it's now just as full and, and just as tall as the rest of the trees. And so you liken that to what goes on in, in society and especially with these financial institutions. If you are to support them and, and put that stake up next to them too long, then the trunks never get secure. The roots never get deep enough. And they, they don't grow very well on their own. They continually become, or they stay weak. And you let that, get, that tree get too big before you pull the stake out, and it's going to collapse under its own weight because it hasn't had to resist the winds and the storms on its own. It hasn't developed that root system to do that. And that's exactly what we're doing with um, all these businesses and institutions that are, quote-unquote, too big to fail. Number one, we're... They're allowed to get so big because they, they don't have accountability. And then when they do fail, we're, we're propping them right back up and saying, it's okay, you know. And, and what I think that that's encouraging is, is just bad practices and unaccountability. On a personal level, I mean, I think this, this goes even to our, our own moral standards. I think we live in a world, it's odd that we are here, but um, we live in a world now that um, the government 
tells you that you can be a male or a female. It doesn't matter how what a gender you were uh, when you were born. You can choose. And you, they tell you that uh, this whole woke I- ideology that you can choose this, that, or the other. There's no consequences. And so when you bring up the idea, well, I don't really agree with that, or you give some resistance as if that was a wind to their theory or what they're trying to propose, they crumble. Like they, they do not want it, to, it's like they have their stake up and they don't want to take off that stake. They're too worried that if they take the stake off, they're going to break. And it's true. And, and, and they're right because it will break because those, the fundamental premise behind their argument is, is very weak and or non-existent. And so if, if it were to be exposed, then the argument would crumble. Which I love about free speech. That principle, that constitutional principle of free speech is, is magnificent and it plays out in our daily lives. I mean, with my relationship with my wife, if I were not to say what I really meant, um, then I'd be in a better place. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. No, but oftentimes it's uncomfortable when she tells me something and, and maybe I don't want to hear that or I don't want to admit to that or I tell her something and she doesn't want to hear it or she doesn't want to admit to herself that maybe there's some truth to what I'm saying. In our personal relationships, it works well if we're able to just freely speak. Um, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have a consequence, but that freedom of speech allows for a debate to happen. And if you do it right, and if you're, you're okay about not uh, getting your feelings hurt all the time, then you can welcome that and you can grow as a person. It's like that wind blowing against you. Everybody can grow. But if you can't get the idea out or if you can't, if you can't stand to listen to that person's idea or that person's thought, if it's contrary to something that you think, then you're, you're going to have a hard time in life. And I think that's the point where we've actually got to in our society is that we want to insulate everybody. We want to insulate everybody from harm or from, from feeling bad about themselves or feeling bad about uh, doing something and, and maybe there was a negative consequence to that. But, oh, it's okay, it's okay. You pat them on the back and you give them a trophy and you move on. Oh, it's okay. Um, and I think that does more harm than good. And we're starting to see that, especially in our kids' lives. Unfortunately, they have to live through this now, and, and they have to have, hopefully, good parents at home that are teaching them good principles that can withstand the wins, because those wins are going to come, and they're going to be challenged, but that's okay. I'm okay if my kids are challenged, because hopefully I've ingrained in them and taught them over time principles that will keep them grounded that root system is strong. And so when people deride them or say, what you're doing is, is um, not what we do anymore or that's not uh, woke enough for me, they can withstand that with, with a lot of vigor because they have that solid root system. That's my hope as a parent is to ingrain that into them. I can't control it. And, and the hope is that um, that, that doesn't happen. You, know, you, don't want, you don't want your kids to go through hard things, but, but uh, also they have to. Yeah. Okay, we have to take a break. This is 560 AM KBLU. We'll be back in a minute. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law. We're talking about accountability and how that walks hand in hand with freedom. 
You cannot have freedom if you are not allowed to fail. And uh, what we're seeing here is um, with the banks more recently failing with the Silicon Valley Bank and uh, also the Bank of New York, that the federal government wants to come in and uh, bail out beyond what the federal uh, insurance is. We, My opinion is that is not only detrimental to the concept of the banking system, but it's detrimental to all of our freedom because if we're not allowed to suffer the consequences of our actions, it, it encourages poor decision-making and, and riskier decisions because if we're not going to fall and the government won't allow us to fall, then we are not going to be worried about making decisions that could result in harm to us or others, and, and that's a big problem. We talked last segment. We were talking about uh, that idea a little bit more. We use the analogy of your trees in your backyard and how you like to prematurely. Well, I use the word prematurely, prematurely in the sense that against all advice around you, yeah, my landscapers, know, yeah, they say, say don't do it. That you know, you let them grow a little bit more and before uh, you unstake them because that wind might break there. And but you say you watch the the bulb system underneath the root system, and as you're watching that and you see it's a little bit more secure you tend to take those stakes off faster than most would. And you've seen great success with that in the trunk system because it's been able to be blown back and forth. And as it blows back and forth and those fibers break down, they come back with a vengeance. Just like when we go to the gym and you lift weights, you break down those muscles and they come back, they heal, they build stronger and they get bigger. And that's really the basic concept in it that we can apply to our daily lives, whether that's our moral our moral uh, compass, or that's our, our banking system, or our, um, anything that we want to apply that to, it's going to work. But I think saving people, there's a difference between uh, exercising, I guess I would use the word grace, you know, that grace to me is when a person doesn't, a person doesn't necessarily, or a company doesn't really, they, under the law, they do not meet the requirements of needing assistance because of whatever they did. Grace would be something where you say, I understand that you didn't quite make it and you don't deserve this, but I'm going to exercise grace and give it to you anyway. But in order to do that, you have to independently have the resources that you're giving out. And the federal government does not independently have those resources. It takes those resources from us, the taxpayers. We are not agreeing to bail these individual banks out, these private banks out. But the federal government will put us in jail if we don't pay our taxes, which that's where the funds are coming from to bail these banks out. So to in order to exercise grace, you actually have to independently have the, the resources that you're, you're offering so if you don't independently have those resources, then you can't provide grace. Yeah, and I think we use, a great, we use that word grace more of in a gospel sense, right? Um, when you talk about Jesus Christ, those that, that uh, follow Jesus Christ and his, his uh, teachings, that word is thrown around a lot hit by his grace, right? And uh, it goes to what you're just talking about. And I love the definition that you, you gave to us because that's exactly right. You have to have the ability to give that on your own on your own, you have to have this uh, body of whatever it is to give on your own, not borrowed from other people. Yeah, I can't walk up to somebody that's homeless and say, you know what, you deserve a home. So I know a guy that's got two houses, 
and uh, we're going to go over and we're going to make him give up one of his houses because you need a house and he has two, so he doesn't need it. I don't have that authority. I can't do that. And I think we all recognize that. But isn't it that exactly what the government is doing when it's taking our money and giving it to other people that it thinks it determines in its own independent discretion deserves what we have? And that is part of our money and our resources, our savings that we've saved up to give to the individuals that, that lost their savings because of their choices. And the alternative, so you, you use that same example. You, you walk up to a homeless person and I actually have two houses and I say, you know what? I think if you work really hard, you come, I'm going to give you a job. I'm going to pay you. And if you come every day for 365 days a year and you work really hard, then, um, I'm going to give you my second house or this other house that I have. I have multiple houses and I can give one to you if you meet those requirements. And And I love that. And I think that Americans have demonstrated that level of charitable intent and giving more than any other country in the history of the world. We've done that. When we're allowed to exercise our freedom, we grow intellectually, we grow financially, and we also are able to demonstrate moral goodness and charity to our fellow man. But when it's taken from us, we're kept poor and our independence is stripped from us and we're not allowed to be more charitable because now something's been taken away from me and forcibly forcefully taken away and, and given against my will to somebody else. And so now I'm not only unable to be as successful, but I'm unable to exercise what would have been a good charitable gift to somebody else. And you can call it what it is. I mean, if I were to go, Sean, you have two houses and I say, you know what? This guy really needs it. I don't think you need it, Sean. You're doing pretty good in your one, in your house. I'm going to take this house and I'm going to deed it over to this homeless guy that I think is more deserving than you. If if we were to call that anything other than stealing, then you'd be lying to yourself. That that's theft, and that's what the government does every day. I mean, they they take my tax money and your tax money and they give it to whoever they deem appropriate against any advice from me. They don't act as a, as a typical fiduciary. Like we've talked about this before on our show. When we deal with finances in our firm, oftentimes we'll act as a fiduciary for some other family or for an estate or something like that. And we are meticulous to the penny as to how we're spending that money and what it's being used on. We're not frivolous because it's not our money. We treat that as if it's a sacred purse and we can't violate that sacredness. The government, not so much. They take our money more than probably they deserve, and they use it without any recompense, as if it's a blank check. Yeah. And I I think people— And no accountability. The worst part about it, I mean, it would be bad enough that they said, listen, I'm going to take your money, and I'm going to give it to this guy because we think it's more deserving. If they said that and it was totally transparent, I could grumble about it. I might not be able to do much about it, but I could grumble about it. But it, it's even more than that. It's, it's the subterfuge that goes on with it. It's we're going to put all of your money into these tax coffers, and then we're going to write this 4,000-page bill that's going to distribute your money, and we're going to give you less than 48 hours for even your representatives to read it, and nobody could read it in that amount of time, let alone maybe ever because it's so complicated and convoluted, and that's how we're going to distribute it. That That is just adding insult to injury. And I, I hate to go down that rabbit hole and be very depressed about it. <laughs> 
So what's the what's the alternative? I mean, what do we do about it? I mean, if this is actually happening, well, single subject legislation is one of those things, and that's one of the things that uh, right now Kevin McCarthy is proposing, and uh, the House Republicans right now are saying we want single subject legislation. We have one subject as part of the bill. We're not going to throw in a bunch of um, pork or pork barreling into this bill. We are going to have it on an issue that we're going to spend it on this thing here, and and the bill is either going to pass or it's going to fail on its merits. We're not going to have these what they're called omnibus bills anymore, where you just throw everything in the kitchen sink in there, and there's funding for, you know, the testing of the toxicity of frogs in the Amazon, as well as relief for flood victims in or yeah Ukraine or flood victims in California. And then the uh, the uh, the other thing we can do is you go to the polls and you vote. Oftentimes after an electric cycle, um, I'll hear it from people that come in, oh, I didn't get out to the polls this time and things like that, but yet they continue to complain about what's going on. And if you're not actually taking part in the um, the election system, then it's hard to complain about that because you're not doing anything to voice your opinion and you're not helping aid in that the issues that you, you're actually complaining about. Is that a perfect system? No. I mean, uh, we're living it. It's very difficult when you have a representative that doesn't understand the Constitution and doesn't do their their greatest to limit the ability of government to impose its will on us as a people in our daily lives. I think oftentimes, and I, this is the this is the common thing that I that I encounter in, in a, on a daily basis when a family comes into me and one of their family members has died, and now we're going to work through that probate process um, in some form or fashion, for example. And oftentimes they're fearful of the government, this um, this ominous government thing out there that's watching over them, and they're going to get in trouble and all this stuff. And I have to explain to them, well, nobody's really watching. You have to bring it to the court's attention that this person died. You have to do that. You have to be preemptive about doing this process. There's no government out there like boogeyman watching over or directing directing this. You have to take it on and you have to do it. I think there's a common misconception in the populace that the government knows everything. They're omnipotent, they're all-powerful, and they're omniscient. They're all-knowing. In reality, our government is made up of a body of individuals that have passions and have biases, and, and you put that clump together, and that's your government. And so we... We need to be cognizant about who we're electing to this body, but it does not it's not a machine. It doesn't it doesn't need money. It doesn't need my money and it doesn't need to uh, tell me what to do. It should just be sitting there for my defense and for your defense, the defense of our family, making sure that we, we are um, protected because I have to go to work and and, and um, I have to provide for my family. I don't have time to guard the southern border or the northern border. I can't take time out of my day. So the government's role, in my, in my opinion, or the purpose of government, is really to do those things that I lend it authority to do, like protect us, the sheriff's department, the police, um, because I, I can't be everywhere at once and protecting my neighbors and protecting um, those that I love. I have to be out working and, and gainfully employed so that I can use that money to pay for my family and, and better my life. And so I say, you know what, government, if you guys could take that off my plate, that would be good. So very simply put, and, and we like to break down things and make them simple, and that's what we do for our seminars. And uh, we have That to, was a great segue. Sorry. So slick. I, I didn't mean to, but 
Um, it we, worked. We do have seminars coming up. Um, March 30th, we have them at the Yuma Main Library at 10.30. March 31st at the Foothills Library at 2.30. Uh, fantastic opportunity for you to come and ask questions about how uh, planning can benefit you and your family and make sure that uh, the process of transferring your legacy that you've acquired over a lifetime is a smooth one. But um, more so, what I wanted to talk about is the Constitution, just broken down in its most fundamental form, is that we cannot give any more power to the government than we have ourselves. The government is nothing more than a group of people who we've delegated the authority that we have to protect ourselves, to protect our life, to protect our liberty, and to protect our property. And so we can delegate that to somebody else. So if I let, let's just you know break that down to a very quick, easy example. If I'm going to go out of town for a weekend and I say, Adam, I want you to go to my house and uh, make sure that everything's taken care of okay. And then while you're there, somebody goes by and tries to break in, right? So you go to the front door, you open it, you punch them in the face, and they run off. You're 100% within your legal rights to do that. You don't own the house, okay? But you're there with my authority to defend my property. So that is that is proper delegation of authority, and that's all the government is, is a delegation of my authority to protect my property and my liberty and my life. And if I can't delegate the authority, if there's authority beyond that which I have, then I can't delegate it. And the government doesn't have it. We have the authority individually as civilians to protect our country and, and, and more personally, our property from the invasion of foreign countries or foreign people. And uh, we delegate that authority to a large group of people that we call the federal government to do that. In the Constitution, we specifically delegated that authority. And then also in the Constitution, we said every power and authority that is not delegated is reserved to the people or the states, respectively. And uh, so we delegated that authority to defend our borders to the federal government, meaning we have that authority. Now we've given it to them to do it. And if they're not doing it, we can still do it. I can still go back home and I can still defend my house. If I can't do something such as take from my neighbor, steal from my neighbor and give it to the poor man on, on the end of the street, then the government can't do that because we are the government. It's the government of the people. And if I can't give it to you or I can't do it myself, I cannot delegate that authority. And that's it. That's all the government is, delegation of authority that we have personally ourselves to do it. And the government's not doing it. We need to step up as the people again and take that responsibility to do it. That's all the time that we have for today. This is 560 AM KBLU Life, Death, and the Law. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.